Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Another morning, Dirt Radio. I'm John Langer and we are Friends of the Earth. Sponsored by, and uh, well, we're here every Tuesday at 9.30. Let's start the show with a quote. You might have come across it before. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. Well, that was Charles Dickens and the very first lines of his novel, A Tale of Two Cities, published in the middle of the 19th century, but having so much contemporary resonance, especially when you're thinking about the environment and about environmental politics and environmental activism. Hans Baer is an anthropologist and development studies specialist at the University of Melbourne, And he's been thinking and writing about this, the season of light and the season of darkness, from an environmental perspective. And he's our special guest on Dirt Radio this morning. Good morning, Hans. Good morning. Welcome to Dirt Radio. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. Now, I wanted to start with some a little bit of contextualizing. When you cast your eye on our environmental times, the times that we're living through, the darkness and the light, the wisdom and the foolishness, you do it from a very particular framework, something called eco-socialism. And briefly, I wanted to ask why eco-socialism is useful for understanding where we are and where we might be going in relation to the environment. Well, first of all, um, I think that there are two really crucial questions that uh, we face today. Uh, that I- the first is, how do we learn to live in harmony with each other? How do we make sure that everybody on the planet has enough, enough food, clothing, and shelter, uh, access to education, good health care, meaningful work, a sense of community? And that is uh, largely an issue of social justice. And and that's where, for me, socialism uh, comes in. Now, of course, socialism is a a very contested term. And there were societies that attempted to create socialism. But I don't think they ever pulled it off um, and for, for a variety of very, very complex reasons. But, but the other imperative that I think we face today is how do we learn to live in harmony with nature? How do we make sure that we don't screw up the planet? And we're doing a very good job of that. And while people were screwing up the planet uh, before capitalism, uh, that process of exploiting the planet, exploiting nature, has intensified under capitalism. And so I think that uh, even though people are trying to deal with the uh, ecological crisis and climate change, uh, which perhaps is the most profound manifestation today of the ecological crisis within the parameters of uh, capitalism, 
Uh, case in point would be Al Gore, who was in uh, Melbourne last week and who I actually heard three times, uh, first at the Eco uh, Summit, uh, Eco City Summit, um, which was down at the, um, the um, what was it called, the uh, Convention Center. And then he spoke a couple times at the ACME. Um, and because I'm a uh, graduate of his uh, training program, the Climate Reality pro- Program, I-, I got to hear him. And he's basically trying to sort of uh, deal with climate change within uh, using techno fixes, uh, which are needed. Uh, renewable sources of energy, energy efficiency, uh, things like electric cars. Uh, but I, I don't think uh, that's enough. And uh, I think we're going to have to kind of go to something much more radical. And basically, I call that, other people call it eco-socialism. I use the term democratic eco-socialism because I want to sort of highlight that socialism needs to be democratic, doesn't, uh, should not be uh, uh, authoritarian. Is this uh, just to c- continue with eco-socialism? Is it is it a school... I'm trying to just put it in the context. Is it a school of thought? Is it is it a social movement? For people listening, how how, how do they grasp this idea of eco-socialism? Well, there have been precursors to eco-socialism. I think Barry Commoner in the uh, 60s and 70s uh, was one of them. But perhaps uh, one of the people who really sort of kicked off uh, eco-socialism was Andre Gortz. And in uh, 1980, he published a book uh, titled Ecology as uh, Politics. Uh, And since then, a lot of people have been working in this uh, vein. Uh, There is a journal, academic journal, uh, Capitalism, Nature, uh, Socialism. Uh, Monthly Review has basically taken on, particularly under the editorship of John Bellamy Foster, a sociologist uh, at the University of Oregon. He's been the editor for some time. It's taken on a very eco-socialist uh, tone. Uh, there is a uh, eco-socialist uh, manifesto. Uh, there are a number of websites that deal with uh, eco-socialism. Derek Wall in the UK, who's a member of the Green Party there, is uh, identifies himself as an eco-socialist. So, so it's... Uh, a, a, a movement that is sort of rising, is still in, in its early days, and is basically, uh, even in, in Australia, is not that much on the radar screen. But I, uh, hopefully in, in coming years, people will recognize it more. And you'll be at, you'll be at the forefront, hopefully. Well, <laughs> maybe. Uh, we'll see. Well, look, I, I should let people know you have uh, an astonishing number of publications, actually. It's it's quite impressive. And we will be putting that on our Dirt Radio website page. And some of those references that you've just mentioned I think would be very useful as well. And I'll, we will get those things from you sure. and put them on the website as well. Now, uh, something that, that uh, I want to continue a little bit, you hinted at it. You, you've, you've mentioned it, not exactly this, but something called green green capitalism mm. and and something mm. which you've you've already mentioned things like the electric car other examples of green capitalism i'd like you to provide those for us because you're quite skeptical about what you call and you and others have called green capitalism yes um well i think al gore is perhaps the 
the leading example of a green uh, capitalist. Uh, in fact, uh, in 2015, one year after I did the training with him uh, in 2014, he came back and uh, he spoke at the Wheeler Center. And uh, there was a question and answer period there. And I posed the question to him uh, whether that, that I, I noted that a lot of people are saying that capitalism ultimately is the driver, the main driver of climate change, the elephant in the room. And I also noted that Naomi Klein was about to come to Melbourne, and she had recently published the book where she she identifies uh, capitalism as a, a driver of climate change. And uh, he, he said, well, he had been thinking about that, and uh, but he went on for quite a while, but he was convinced that we could solve the problem with the UN process, with emissions trading, uh, with uh, techno fixes and things like that. Now, again, some of those things are needed, but I don't think that they are enough. Uh, the problem with green capitalism, uh, so Nicholas Stern, for example, would be a good uh, example of green capitalist. I don't know if he would refer himself to that in that way. Or here in Australia, uh, none other than Ross Garneau, who's a colleague of mine at Melbourne University, I think could be put into that particular framework. Green capitalism still is very wedded to the growth paradigm. Uh, and basically, the growth paradigm is an inherent part of capitalism. Mm -hmm. uh, Marx himself said of uh, capitalism, it has to grow or die out. Uh, and yet, it does not uh, adequately address the limits to growth. Uh, and that is, of course, an idea that came out of the Club of Rome in the early 1970s. But I think a lot of people are sort of revisiting uh, that uh, particular idea. And green capitalists still sort of are very much wedded to this growth paradigm and are in a kind of state of denial as far as I'm concerned. Something that uh, is very much connected to what's going on in Australia at the moment, the so-called climate wars, the, the, the climate – yeah, I guess that's what it's been referred to. A lot of these things connect to things to do with renewables and, and again, issues to do with the electric car. And um, there's, there's a huge discussion of transition away from coal – but none of this discussion – now, maybe I'm putting my foot in it here. A lot of this discussion does not talk about what you're talking about in relation to, I don't know, restraining growth. I mean, it's it sort of talks about transition, but it's not really discussing transition to what. Uh, it's replacing one kind of yeah. energy with another. Would you be – would you also be skeptical about that? discussion about, you know, wind energy and uh, transition out of coal and going to other kinds of forms of energy, but retaining business as usual? Well, first of all, I'm very much an advocate of renewable sources of energy. And Australia is well positioned uh, to go in that direction and to wean itself uh, from coal and natural gas for that uh, matter. Uh, obviously, the country and uh, multinational corporations that operate within the country uh, are very much committed to that. And uh, the, both major parties, the coalition and the ALP, uh, are wedded to that. Uh, and again, 
we, we could make a shift to renewables. So capitalism has uh, functioned over the several last several hundred years with different types of forms of uh, energy. And you could have a, a uh, capitalism that functions uh, almost exclu- exclusively uh, on renewables. But nevertheless, there's a lot of embedded energy that goes into the development of these uh, wind farms, these solar power plants, solar panels, uh, what, what have you. Uh, and I think that green capitalism, the, the, this approach doesn't uh, recognize that, again, there are only so many resources. Now, I've looked at the climate movement, both internationally and also here in Australia, in fact, with uh, Verity Bergman, uh, a colleague of mine at uh, Melbourne, uh, we did a book uh, titled uh, Climate Politics and the Climate Movement in Australia. Uh, came out in 2012, and that was launched at Trades Hall by Adam Bent. Uh, now, in the afterward uh, of the book, we talk about the need for kind of democratic eco-socialism. And Adam, at the launch, said that the afterward, he didn't comment in detail, was a, a, a real uh, corker. Uh, so basically, I think largely the Australian climate movement is uh, wedded to this idea of ecological modernization. The, the various techno fixes beyond zero emissions would be uh, a good example of that. Uh, Environment Victoria, uh, the Australian Conservation Foundation, all of these groups basically embrace ecological uh, modernization at the University of Melbourne. When there's a discussion of climate change, it's generally framed within solving it within the parameters of capitalism, the the techno fixes, mm-hmm. uh, emissions trading, and things like that. And going be beyond that is generally not uh, discussed. Now, I make a distinction between the climate movement and the climate justice movement. And climate justice activists say, not climate change, system change. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not always clear exactly what kind of system that they would like to transition to. But basically, I, I very much subscribe to that view that we need to have a, a drastic system change, mm-hmm. even a more radical system change than the one that Naomi Klein uh, advocates. Because I would, if you, if you read the last chapters in her book, I would say she's still trying to sort of work within a capitalist system. Uh, she's trying to tweak capitalism. She's trying to make it more socially just. She's trying to make it uh, more environmentally uh, friendly. Uh, but she is really, and, and she's fairly radical in, in, in her approach, but she still doesn't uh, qualify. I'm not trying to be a purist about this, but she doesn't really fit into the eco-socialist or eco-anarchist uh, uh, mm-hmm. type of uh, framework. And basically both, both of those approaches, they, they have different uh, ways on how to deal with the problem, but they're both, both anti-capitalist types of approaches. And even the Greens are not willing to go there, by and large. No. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we see that. I think we see that with the squabbles that are going on mm. uh, with, with the Greens right, right this very moment. Let's take a pause and let you take a breath. We'll be back. Yarra City Council presents Leaps and Bounds Music Festival 2017. 
from the 13th to the 23rd of July. Celebrating 40 years since Melbourne's first punk gig, Bakehouse hosts Why Punk discussing its existence. Catch the All Ages shows featuring Philly and Boessa at the Turn Up or Ms Risk for Groovers in the High Tea. Head to Bar Open for a show every night of the festival or catch the smooth grooves of the Meltdown. For participating venues and tickets, visit leapsandboundsmusicfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. We're back, Dirt Radio, and special guest Hans Baer talking about eco-socialism. And listen, he's... He's he's really spraying it everywhere. I think <laughs> we're uh, well. This is really interesting, Hans. And and I wanted to go back to eco socialism because I I did read the piece that you've written. You write about eco socialism offering, and I'll quote you back to yourself: a number of system challenging reforms to facilitate a transition from the present existing capitalist world system to a democratic eco socialist world system. Now, at this historical juncture, this is a big question, but at this historical juncture, you've re- eco-socialism rec- makes a series of recommendations which you've written about. In terms of those reforms that you're talking about, which one do you think is absolutely critical to be followed through and implemented at this point in time? Well, first of all, let me talk a little bit about this uh, notion of uh, reforms, uh, systemic types of reforms. And I draw from the work of André Gortz, who was a French Marxist uh, who I referred to earlier. And uh, he made a distinction some time ago between reformist reforms and from time to time, capitalism and its political allies have to sort of make changes to appease the, the, the masses. Uh, but these, these changes basically stabilize capitalism. And they may even be taken away once things quiet down. Now, the revolution is not going to occur overnight, and hopefully this would be a peaceful revolution, uh, although I think it may not sometimes uh, be peaceful. Uh, So in the meantime, people are hurting. There are things that need to be addressed in the here and now. And this is where Gortz talks about non-reformist reforms. So these are reforms that deal with uh, the fact that people are hurting, the the fact that people don't have uh, enough income, that they don't have adequate health care, that their environment uh, is being uh, polluted, that greenhouse gases. I I was going to say things like electricity prices going up. Right, right. And changing the energy mix and those kinds of things. Right. And the idea here is that you you do things that uh, are going to deal with the here and now, but move you to deeper systemic changes uh, down uh, the, the, the line. Now, you asked initially as to which of those would be the most important. Uh, that's that's a, a difficult question to answer, but basically I would say the first thing to do is to have a government 
a government that has a kind of eco-socialist uh, type of agenda. And this means that we're going to have to have new left parties. And we see some of this going on in various parts of the world uh, with mixed results, uh, in some cases very mixed uh, results. Mm, you mm, see it mm. going on, for example, in Latin America uh, under the guise of the Bolivarian Revolution in places like particularly Venezuela and Bolivia and Ecuador. Uh, Venezuela, of course, is going through some very, very hard times uh, now, and Ecuador and Bolivia perhaps to a lesser degree, but these are societies where new left parties basically came to power and tried to establish uh, a different type of agenda. Uh, a little bit, uh, let's say, closer to home in terms of a developed society, we have the case of Syriza uh, in Greece that basically managed to come to government with, with some very difficult uh, results. Now, I think in various other countries, however, you do have some interesting things going on with new left parties. And here I point to Germany, a country uh, that I know quite well, partly because I spent seven months as a Fulbright lecturer uh, in 88-89 in uh, East Berlin at, in the German Democratic uh, Republic. And I saw uh, that country sort of on its, in its last days. Uh, but out of that came a party that now you find in the German Bundestag or parliament uh, called Die Linke, the, the, the left. Uh, and it's uh, probably the most radical party today in Germany, at least that's <laughs> in the parliament. And what's interesting is that it now has more seats in the, uh, the Bundestag, I believe 64, as opposed to the Greens. Uh, so it's it's a party that's sort of there, and I think it's parties like uh, this that we should look to. Now, obviously, uh, we're a long way from mm -hmm. a new left party uh, coming to power in Australia. Uh, but this is uh, an idea that I floated in the book that I did with Verity. Now, Verity had a different reading on this. Uh, maybe I haven't been in Australia long enough. I first came here in 2004. But my conception of a new left party uh, in Australia would be a party where you take all the disaffected ALP types. And God knows how many of them there are. I meet them all the time. Uh, take, let's say, uh, many of the Greens, not necessarily all the Greens, because I think a lot of Greens are still wedded to kind of a, a neoliberal type of uh, agenda that may uh, include people like, uh, uh, I dare say, Richard Di Natale. Uh, and, uh, and then if you take all the socialist groups, uh, I belong to one of those socialist groups called the Socialist Alliance. Uh, and there's a drastic need for socialist unity to have these socialist groups come together. Uh, it hasn't happened. It's a very difficult uh, process. Mm -hmm. And then you take all the independent socialists and independent anarchists out there and to start to form a new left party. Now, if this, if this new left party could basically come to power, uh, and it's not going to happen anytime soon, it may never happen, um, might take 10 years, might take uh, 20 years, then you can really do some very interesting mm, things. Mm. So, for example, let's look at energy. Um, we obviously need energy, uh, but if you had public ownership of mining and energy supply, 
Uh, if you had your power plants basically owned by the government, which they were to a degree mm -hmm, uh, in mm -hmm. the past, if we could revisit that to have public ownership mm -hmm. or social ownership and move away from this privatization uh, type of model, then you can make, uh, I think, some more meaningful decisions as to what kind of energy you're going to use, and then also to distribute it. But then there's also issues of social equality because most societies in the world are now becoming more socially unequal, yes. and, and that includes Australia. Mm, so mm. it would take a government with a certain political will to push these types of things. There are lots of other things that I go into in, in, in the uh, we, essay that I did. <clears throat> We're coming up to the end, near the end of the show, and uh, you've covered a huge amount of ground. Of course, uh, we've got lots of issues and topics and questions that we could follow through, and we might do that in, in the future. I wanted to come back to Charles Dickens because that's where we started. And he, st he talks in his first paragraph in, in Tale of Two Cities about the, this being the, his, it, he says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. If it is the best of times, and we're talking about contemporary times, where should the climate movement be putting its energies to make the most of these best of times? Where should the mobilizations take place? Is that a reasonable question? Yeah, I, I, I think that is, and it's uh, not an easy uh, question to answer. It's, it's one that uh, I grapple with. Uh, I think that the environmental movement and the, uh, and the climate movement, more specifically, really needs to come to terms with, with capitalism. And there's a, there's a great deal, at least I find in Australia, there's a great deal of fear of talking about it because you're going to scare people. Uh, I'm not interested in scaring people, but I am interested in uh, mobilizing uh, people. Uh, and when you begin to raise that particular issue, then people get very nervous. And I, 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 see, I see that, for example, uh, with the Greens right now, uh, with the development of this uh, green, uh, green renewal in New South Wales, where basically a group of young people, probably most more eco-anarchists than uh, eco-socialists, are talking about getting rid of uh, capitalism. Uh, now, Lee Rhiannon has been accused of being part of that uh, renewal. As far as I know, she's not. But she's probably the the one Green parliamentarian that believes that uh, that capitalism has to go. Adam may believe that too, but he's probably a little bit uh, quieter about it. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, well, we'll we'll have to really have to leave it there. But you've provided huge amounts of things to think about. And we want to thank you very much, Hans Baer. And uh, you will be invited back, definitely, to Dirt Radio. We'll, we'll get a, an update and a, an a, another overview a little bit later. Hans Baer is an anthropologist and social development studies academic, and he's a specialist at University of Melbourne. He's published widely, as you heard, and uh, published widely on the politics of climate change and the relationship between politics uh, and climate change and global capitalism. We will be putting some of those links on our web website. And next week, we'll be back to Radio Tuesday, 930